illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down at eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right hash from the zone 25, goes back to throw, and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here will tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half from the right hash. Simon's in the handoff, can't cut to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, 10, into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Nick. he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heiner Tailgater. Recording this while firmly ensconced at the Heiner Tailgater headquarters, I'm your host, head chef, planner, and chief bottle washer, Bill Heine Heinrich. Joining me, as always, from the Heiner Tailgater Northern Command Outpost, the lead driver and director of thermodynamic lipid immersion, my co-host, Brother the Beach. Beach, how the heck are you doing? You know, Billy, I'm just excited to be here. I'm so darned excited my nipples are hard. Well, there you go. Well, the purpose of illegal participation is for us to spread our insight, experiences, and passion for the Oregon State beers with others, and just generally talk some beer sports, football, tailgating, and screw around a little bit every week. Beach, today is show number 88. That's pretty cool. I can't believe we've done this. 88. Every time we do this every week, I just can't believe we're doing it another week. Season so, season five, episode 15. I guess it's it's our, you know, we have loyalty to our fans, our sponsors, and, you know, if we had sponsors. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like, uh, I feel like, uh, um, oh, golly, um, Wayne and Garth, you know, like we should be holding Doritos and wearing Adidas outfits. There you go. So. I'm going to remind everyone you can listen to us on your iPhone or Android device on the Stitch Radio app. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and through the Google Play Music Store. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, there's a couple ways. HeinrichTailgater gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter. I am at HeinrichTailgater. On, and uh, also check out HeinrichTailgater on Facebook. All right, Beach, you ready to start out this week? I'm excited for, like I said, they're, they're still hard, Billy. They're still hard. So let's see how long this will last. Okay. First up with some listener feedback, we got another message from listener Kurt. Love Kurt. He's so much better than Kyle. I hate you, Kyle. Kurt starts out, hey, Bill and Beach, thanks again for another great year of tailgating. The game last weekend was an awesome way to finish off a great year. Winning the Civil War for the first time in way too long is a giant weight off my shoulders, even more so than the wet of my clothes after sitting through the second half monsoon. A win made it all worth it, though. First, some umbrage. 
In his rant of the week, Beach made a comparison to the 12-member U of O student anti-hate crime drum circle to, quote, barely qualifying as a pub crawl. I would like to provide some clarification. I run a Monroe Avenue pub crawl every year in Corvallis, and last year we had 18 people. Thus, the student activity should only count as two-thirds of a pub crawl. Thank you. Sorry about that, Kurt. <laughs> Many apologies for my uh, assumption on the number in a pub crawl. There you go. Kurt continues. In your Purdue Fact of the Week reaction, you expressed some interest in the fact that Orville Redenbacher went to Purdue. Redenbacher enrolled at Purdue at 16 years old and graduated with a degree in agronomy. Agro, agronomy. Agronomy. It's hard to say. Agronomy. Yeah. In 1928. He bounced around the Indiana agricultural scene for a few years before teaming up with Charlie Bowman to purchase a local seed farm specializing in hybrid seeds. After a number of years, they developed a kernel which appeared to have a higher pop yield and a better flavor. They called this Red Bow, which combined their two names because, ironically, neither wanted the publicity. After a few moderately successful years, they approached an advertising agency who they paid to market the popcorn. Orville did all the talking during the meeting, and the marketing agency's recommendation was to use Orville's name and face as their advertising focus. Sometimes the simplest advice is the best advice, even if they did pay $13,000 for it. The business took off, and although Orville Redenbacher was the most expensive of the 83 popcorn brands on the national market, it quickly became the most successful, proving that people will pay more for a better product. Or, if you're the cynical time, proving that people can be suckered in by effective advertising. Redenbacher and Bowman actually sold the company in 1976, only six years after they released their gourmet popcorn line. But Redenbacher stayed as the company spokesman until his death in 1995 at the age of 88. Redenbacher was granted an honorary doctorate from Purdue in 1988 in the field of agriculture and established a foundation that continues to provide scholarships to non-traditional students at Purdue. I looked into Beach's recollection that Orville seemed to be surrounded by women, but could find little or no reference to it. Googling Orville Redenbacher women only produces references to a granddaughter of his, arrested in 2012 for physically attacking cops, a premier of Ontario who looks like him, and two women kissing the cheeks of his statue in downtown Valparaiso, Indiana. He was married to his first wife for 43 years until her death in 71, and married another woman the same calendar year, which is a little odd, but that's all, about all I can find. I did find this 30-minute biography on him, produced by Purdue, which is admittedly a puff piece, but still worth watching if you want to know more about him. And Beads, there's the YouTube uh, link if you want to read that. Kurt continues okay. on. I also found this weird I... CGI commercial from 2007, produced 12 years after he died, way too weird. Thanks again for another season of the podcast, and I look forward to any shows you might have in the off-season. Hoping you can at least have one baseball tailgater this year. As always, but particularly after Saturday, it's a great day to be a beaver. We should do a couple tailgaters again for baseball. We will try. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked doing the ones that we did before. You know, the nice thing is the weather's usually nice, uh, and they're definitely more relaxed, and we can just kind of chill because the the menu usually is isn't as involved. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So and then occasionally. I can uh, block a parking lot and prevent a guy from parking and piss him off and have a great moment. That's always fun. But that's for another story some other time. I, mm. Have we ever told that story? Yes, we did way back when. Have we ever told that story? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One of my greats. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Kurt. That was awesome. And I was going to say, Kurt, I remember that uh, Orville Redenbacher CGI commercial where they put Orville Redenbacher's head on somebody else's body and had him like talking. It was weird. I wonder what the point was. You know, kind of like KFC's bringing back the Colonel, but I don't like those commercials. I think the Colonel's kind of mean. It's kind of weird. Have you, have you seen those commercials? There was one they did for football, and he's grabbing every every player's butt. Yeah. I'm like, why is the Colonel grabbing every player's butt? And then I was just at Fred Myers tonight, and on the sign for the, the hand dryer, it says, wash your hands, you know, before going into work. Wash your hands after uh, touching raw meat and poultry. And wash your hands after touching any body parts. Okay. And so the colonel needs to wash his hands because he was touching a lot of other people's body parts in that commercial. So anyway, there you go. It was interesting. I never saw a sign at a Fred Myers. Wash your hands after touching body parts, mine or somebody else's or both, both any body parts, yeah. yours, anybody, somebody else's doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Beach. Yeah. I don't like the colonel. I they replaced him with the nicer, more genuine and non such sexually uh, motivated colonel. There you go. So there you go. All right, Beads, let's talk a little Beaver sports news. Okay. Hey, Billy, we won the Civil War. I know, but first up, women's volleyball, Beach. Love women's volleyball as long as they keep those shorts. Mary-Kate Marshall tallied 14 kills, and Layla Toner, in her last match, notched 13 as the Oregon State volleyball team was edged in four sets by number 19 Oregon Friday at Gill Coliseum. Now, the Beavers honored their five seniors prior to the match, including Toner, Caitlin Driscoll, Rachel Bruner, Emily uh, Wilmus, and Jesse Samalu. Toner finished the day with her 13 kills on 42 attacks, adding four digs and a solo block. Now, the Beavs finished the season 12-19, and 5-15 in Pac-12 play. Now, Oregon State junior Mary-Kate Marshall has been named to the Pac-12 Conference's first team the league announced on Monday. Marshall has now been named Pac-12 first team twice during her career, earning the honor first in 2014 when she was also named the conference's freshman of the year. And in 2016, it's predicted she will make it first team again as she was named a preseason first teamer as voted by the Pac-12's coaches. She's pretty darn good. Yeah, yes, she is. All right, Beach, moving along. Time for some women's basketball. Okay. Love women's basketball, too. That's mainly just because of our our ties to the coach being from Hillsboro, but go on. Yes. How do we do? The number 22 Orient State women's basketball team suffered its first loss of the season last Tuesday evening narrowly falling to Marquette 74-73 at Gill Call season. Now, Oregon State led for a majority of the fourth quarter and had a chance to take the victory on the final position, but was unable to convert as time expired. Oregon State basically had a week off since then uh, before it hit the road for the first time this season. The Beavers head to Maui on Friday and Saturday to take on Idaho and BYU. Also return home on December 10th for a matchup with Southern Utah. So they have to go to Hawaii to play Idaho and BYU. Correct. Sometimes life sucks. It's That's terrible. I mean, I can't believe they would have to take that many thousand-mile journey over a damned ocean mm-hmm. when literally these 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 are bordering states almost. You Pretty know? Much, yeah. One is and one's close. But yeah, yeah. So, unbelievable. But hopefully they will struggle through it. I hear uh, Hawaii is absolutely terrible this time of year. <laughs> it's like dry or you know warmer rain and it's like you know. 80 and nice yeah it's just yeah, horrible yeah yeah it's 
I hope they better through it. At least they'll be back in time for Christmas. All right, Beads, let's move on to men's basketball. How? Ooh, I heard bad news about uh, we uh, will Trace get in, Tinkle. We will get into today. that, Beads. Uh, sophomore forward Trace Tinkle scored a career-high 31 points, but the Oregon State men's basketball team fell 65-58 to to Fresno State before a crowd of 5,005 last Friday at Gill Coliseum. Now, freshman card Ja'Cory McLaughlin added 12 points, his fifth game in double figures. However, he was the only other Beaver in double digits, and no other player scored more than four points. In that game against Fresno State Beach, Trace Tinkle broke a bone in his right wrist in the final minutes. Now, they're not sure if he's going to have to have surgery, but he is out indefinitely and expected to be probably four to six weeks. Wow. Yes. Is, uh, is 5,005 a, a large crowd it's, at Gill? It's not huge. It can hold more than that. Okay. But, you know, early in the season, mm-hmm. non-conference games. Now, at Beach, uh, just Monday night, sophomore center Drew Eubanks scored a career-high 32 points and added nine rebounds as Oregon State ended a four-game losing streak with an 84-59 victory over Southern Oregon at Gill. Eubanks broke his career high of 19 points by scoring 24 in the first half on 11 of 16 shooting with an assortment of dunks and hook shots. He was 4 of 5 from the field in the second half and 15 of 21 overall with two blocks and two assists. With that win, Beach, the Beavs are now 3 and 4 in the season, and they hit the road on Wednesday for a two-game road trip to Mississippi State and Charlotte. They play Mississippi State at 6 p.m. on Thursday at Starkville, Mississippi, in a game that will be televised by ESPNU and Charlotte at 4 p.m. on Saturday in a radio-only contest. Well, I'm concerned because uh, Trace Tinkle was really is the, the standout player this year so far, hasn't he been? Oh, yeah. He's he's someone they need back desperately. Wow. Well, well, I guess we'll see how the next four to six weeks turn out. Yep, yep, yep. Hopefully they can string some wins together. So. Hey, Beach. Yeah, what? Oh, holy cow, I think I hear the uh, teletype going off. Billy. Yes. Hold on, hold on. This just in. With the holiday season fast approaching, it is time we look upon the year and rediscover the magical moments that made us smile. With that being said, since this is the update from Eugene, let's look upon the Ducks' tragic season. From the Eugene Register Guard. Oregon's 4-8 record in 2016 marked its first losing season since 2004, which is also the last time Oregon missed a bowl game. The four victories were the fewest since 1991 when the Ducks went 3-8. Here's a look back at the games that got away and the ones that didn't. September 3rd, Oregon 53, UC Davis 28. This turned out to be the last season opener for both coaches as the Aggies fired Ron Gould following a 3-8 finish. September 10th, Oregon 44, Virginia 26. Victory moved the Ducks up to number 22 in the Associated Press poll. September 17th, Nebraska 35, Oregon 32. It started to go south for Helfrich when he went one for five on two-point conversions in a three-point loss to Mike Riley. September 24th, Colorado 41, Oregon 38. Down three with first and goal at the seven-yard line, Dakota Prukup, through an interception that propelled the Buffs to the South Division title. October 1st, Washington State 51, Oregon 33. Two consecutive losses to the Cougars and the first blowout loss of the season 
heated up Helfrich's seat. October 8th, Washington 70, Oregon 21. The Huskies snapped a 12-game losing streak to the Ducks by scoring the most points Oregon had given up since 1941. October 21st, California 52, Oregon 49, double overtime. Ducks were driving for a tying field goal or winning touchdown when Justin Herbert threw a game-ending interception. October 29th, Oregon 54, Arizona State 35. Justin Herbert tied the school record with 489 passing yards as Oregon enjoyed its only lopsided victory in Pac-12 play. November 5th, USC 45, Oregon 20. Trojans led 17-0 in less than 10 minutes and led by double digits the rest of the way. November 12th, Stanford 52, Oregon 27. Stanford was averaging 142 passing yards per game before throwing for 258 against the Ducks. November 19th, Oregon 30, Utah 28. Justin Herbert threw the winning touchdown to Darren Carrington in the final seconds as Oregon upset the 12th ranked Utes. November 26th, Oregon State 34, Oregon 24. Beavers rallied from a 10-point deficit by outscoring Oregon 20 to nothing in the final 20 minutes to snap an eight-year losing streak in the Civil War. So, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Joyous Kwanzaa, and most of all, have a bitchin' Festivus. Remember, while we celebrate a 4-8 season for the fact that we are Beaver fans and any season with the win is a successful season, the Duck fans must compensate for their anatomical inadequacies by living vicariously through their football team. So this year, go to your local mall or shopping center and find the sponsor a Duck fan tree. Grab a name of a deserving Duck fan and pick them out something nice to help cheer them up for the holidays. Perhaps a Beaver t-shirt, some orange and black socks, maybe some season tickets to basketball at Gill Coliseum. Or if you're feeling, feeling especially generous, maybe find them a new coach. Which they're going to have to do after tonight. <laughs> there you go. The update for Eugene. It was a long one. Yes. Again, that's what she said. So... But yeah, did you, like that? did you like that one? That was, was that pretty good, Billy? That was pretty good, Beach. All right, thank you. But uh, yeah, so it was just released actually tonight. We are recording this on Tuesday, and it was released just tonight that uh, the Ducks have fired Mark Helfrich. Kind of a nice segue into that, wasn't it? A little bit, <laughs> but but interesting. Um, yeah. You know, it, well, we should take a because I'm I believe Helfrich was the highest paid employee uh, in the state of Oregon, was he not? Oh, I'm sure he was. Okay, and so now with that, he become even higher paid because his buyout was eleven million dollars. Yeah, here we'll we'll get into that when we when we okay. do something later, Beach. But yeah. Okay. Sorry. About uh, that. But before we do that, let's go under further review for week number thirteen in the Pac-12. After further review, the runner did cross the line. The Touchdown! Oh, excited for this, Billy. Closing the closing the door on another season here. All right, Beach. So first up, we had two games on last Friday, the twenty fifth. First up was Washington at Washington State. Now, Beach heading into this week, Kyle was in third place at fifty seven and out of eighty three. You and I were tied with sixty one out of eighty three. Mm-hmm. All right. So first up, Beach, Washington, Washington State. Who'd you take? Took the Huskies. I did too. Kyle, however, I hate you, Kyle. Kyle took Washington State. Number five, Washington cruised to a 45-17 route of number 23, Washington State, that put the Huskies into the Pac-12 championship game 
and on the cusp of a spot in the college football playoff. Washington rolled from the outset, scoring using a 28-point first quarter behind three touchdown passes from quarterback Jake Browning to claim the Pac-12 North title and keep the Apple Cup in Seattle for a fourth straight year. Browning threw for 292 yards, but it was the first quarter that set the stage. Browning tossed all three touchdown passes in the first 15 minutes, hitting Dante Pettis on plays of 18 and 61 yards, and John Need Roth. some water there, Billy? You do, yeah. You're doing okay? I do this every okay. time. <laughs> I know, you do. <laughs> and hitting jo- uh, John Ross on a six-yarder. Browning had 243 yards passing by halftime. The Huskies had 386 total yards at the break, and even Washington State's third-quarter rally didn't make Washington sweat. Washington had a school record with the 28-point first quarter, and the fourth straight over the Cougars is the longest streak since the Huskies won six straight between 1998 and 2003. Now, Browning completed 21 of 29 passes, becoming the third quarterback in Pac-12 history with at least 40 touchdown passes in the season. Ross had eight catches of 80 yards and his 16th TD catch of the season. Washington State quarterback Luke Falk has 33 of, was 33 of 50 passing for 269 yards and a 9-yard TD pass to Gabe Marks in the third quarter, but was intercepted three times. More damaging, the Cougars were not unable to score on three drives inside the Washington 10. They, they had a lot of trouble in that red zone. Yes, they did. And, and really Washington just stuck it to them. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I would say the, the, you know, when you start getting down by that much, you start making more gutsier calls uh, mm-hmm. to try to make it. And I, and I think uh, Leach made a, you know, he went for it several times on, on fourth down, which ultimately didn't pay off, um, which just uh, exacerbated that score. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but I, it was still a fairly fun game to watch. No, I agree. So, and uh, yeah. All right, Beach. Up next, Arizona State. Congra- at- congrats to Washington. Con- yeah. Con- and congratulations to the Huskies for being the uh, top tw- top team in the Pac-12 uh, North. Yep. Great accomplishment. Um, now, Beach, up next was the Territorial Cup, Arizona State at Arizona. And I took Arizona State on this one because Arizona just isn't that good this year. Um, all three of us took Arizona State, but Arizona State just wasn't as good as Arizona on Friday. Arizona turned the Territorial <laughs> Cup into a walkover, running through, past, and around Arizona State while racking up a school record 511 yards rushing in a 56-35 victory over the rival Sun Devils Friday night. Arizona coach Rich Rodriguez promised a new wrinkle for the Wildcats' biggest rival. No one expected what he came up with, ditching the no huddle. Working almost exclusively out of a huddle, Arizona reeled off one big play after another, starting with Dawkins' 71-yard touchdown run on the game's third play. The Wildcats kept running away from the Sun Devils, finishing with three players over 100 yards rushing for the first time since 1993. Now, Dawkins was the catalyst, his run-pass ability keeping Arizona State off balance while finishing with 183 yards rushing and two touchdowns and 77 yards passing with another TD. Now, Samaje Grant, a receiver... So they sl- so- what? I-, I was just going to say, so they, they slowed down the tempo incredibly by, uh, by going back to a huddle system, which Arizona State probably wasn't ready for. Yep. Now, Samaje Grant, a receiver Crazy. pressed into running duties, running back duties due to injuries, had 176 yards and three TDs. Zach Green added 126 yards and two touchdowns for the Wildcats, who didn't throw a pass in the second half, 
while ending an eight-game losing streak. Now, Arizona State came into the game with the worst, nation's worst pass defense for the second straight season, only to get burned by the run in the biggest game on its schedule. Now, Manny Wilkins threw for 370 yards and three touchdowns for the Devils. Wow. It's it's like they threw the game. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't pass on him, even though they have a terrible pass defense, and they still kicked him in the butt. But when you're... They, when you're running it with that much success, why throw the ball? Well, that's kind of what Oregon State did when we get there. Exactly. Uh, I, I felt with the, the the second half of that game. It was like, mm-hmm. screw it. We're picking up eight yards of carry on average. You might as well just keep running the dang thing. It's like, as I like to say, run it again. Run it again. <laughs> so. Okay, Beach. Uh, up, wow. next, well, that, uh, up next, all the rest was, of the games are on Saturday, September 26th. You going to mm-hmm. say something? No, no, we're good. Okay. First up, Notre Dame at USC for the jeweled shillelagh. The shillelagh, in which you do not play wearing a large fur coat and a and a hat. That's a ukulele, right? You dumbass. Exactly. Who'd you take? Exactly. That's why you don't wear that stuff when you play it. Um, the um, uh, we all took USC on this one, didn't we? Correct, Beach. Adoree Jackson returned a punt and a kickoff for touchdowns and caught a scoring press to propel number 12 USC to its eighth consecutive victory, 45-27 over Notre Dame on Saturday in the 88th edition of their famed intersectional rivalry. Quarterback Sam Darnold passed for 205 yards and two TDs, and Ronald Jones II rushed for 134 yards and an early score as USC claimed the jeweled shillelagh for the 11th time in 15 years. Uh, J.N.A. Harris also returned an interception 33 yards for a score shortly before halftime for the Trojans, who fell just short of the Pac-12 South title. USC fans chanted one more year throughout the second half at Adoree Jackson, who has scored five touchdowns against Notre Dame in his career. He returned a punt 55 yards for a score before turning a short pass into a 55-yard TD and then taking a kickoff 97 yards for his third score, leaping over a Notre Dame defender along the way. Now, wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster caught a TD pass in the fourth quarter to punctuate the prolific junior receiver's own probable Coliseum finale. Smith-Schuster is looking toward a bowl game, but also is thinking about the future. Smith-Schuster said, referring to a national championship, quote, if Adore comes back, I'm for sure coming back, and we're going to win the natty. Wow, that's a ballsy promise. I would look for them to be ranked very highly if they come back. Hmm. I think they're the best team in the Pac-12 right now. You kept saying that uh, at the game on on Saturday, and I was uh, I was uh, a little shocked. But I, you know, they've improved a lot this year. I think. I mean, they had a rough start, but uh, well, they they installed that Darnold as quarterback, and it's completely different. Well, and actually, they announced the Pac-12 uh, All Conference teams today, mm-hmm. and um, Darnold was first team quarterback. Oh, no, he was second team. Wow. He was second team to um, Browning of Washington. Okay. So, Anyways. so right where he should be, second in the Pac-12 North. Yeah. Um, all right. So we all got the win there. Next up, BG, UCLA at Cal. I took Cal on this one, didn't I? Actually, we all did. Um, and I contemplated taking US, uh, UCLA just so you and I could get some differentiation. But then I mm-hmm. took Cal because I figured they were going to win, which is good. 
Cal quarterback Davis Webb became the second quarterback in school history to throw for more than 4,000 yards in a season. Matt Anderson tied a team record with five field goals, and Cal beat UCLA 36-10 at Memorial Stadium on Saturday. Now, Webb completed 32 of 48 attempts for 301 yards in his final game with the Golden Bears. He threw TD passes of 7 and 2 yards, giving Webb 37 this season. Now, Anderson converted field goals of 43, 25, 44, 24, and 19 yards to set the Bears' modern-day scoring record with 111 points. That matched the school record set by Mark Jensen in 2002. Cal also kicking. He was, he was a kicking fool over the weekend. Yep. Now Cal also snapped a four-game losing streak overall to keep its slim postseason hopes alive. Um, they're five and seven. If there's not enough six-win teams to fill the bowl games, they could get a win with five. They could get an invitation with five wins based on the their academic progress rate. So they've been graduating on most of their players. Okay. So they would be at the I top of that always, list. I always thought you had to have a break even or positive. You can actually go in with a negative uh, 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 less than 50% uh, record. Correct. Wow, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So, But the Pac-12 takes pride in their academics, don't they? Yes, they do. So, Cool. Well, I wish them the best of luck. I mean, it's nice to get um, more Pac-12 teams out there in bowl games. Th- think they might take a 4-8 and eight team? Possibly. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly not, too. Yeah. So. Now, UCLA has no such hopes after ending its disappointing season with a thud in the Pac-12 finale. The Bruins lost sixth time in the last seven games and matched their worst record since 1999. Beach? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I popped the the, the mute. Uh, are they going to fire another coach? I don't think so yet. I think Morrow's got another year. Yeah, yeah if, they, if they go if they go to the Pac-12 South, it always still kill me when they went and got the Pac-12 South title and they fired their coach. Yeah. No, it wasn't a great season, but you still made it to the Pac-12 South title. That's a win for any Oregon State team. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, Beach. Um, expectations vary. That's all it is. It's true. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Up next, Beach. Okay. Utah at Colorado. I uh, took the buffs on this one because I think Colorado is going to, I think, I don't know. I, I, I it's going to be an interesting Pac-12 championship, but go on, Billy. Let's, let's talk about the game. Okay. All three of us took Colorado. The buffs secured a trip to the conference championship against sixth ranked Washington next weekend with another dazzling defensive performance. One that included 10 pass breakups, eight tackles for loss, four takeaways, three sacks, and two fourth-down stops. Now, the Buffs Buffs had lost 40 of their first 45 league games after joining the Pac-12 in 2011, including a 1-8 mark just a year ago. Now, the Utes pulled close with a 27-22 on Damari Simpkins' seven-yard TD catch with 134 remaining. The two-point conversion toss by Troy Williams was incomplete, and the Utes' onside kick failed when KB on Ento recovered for Utah. Linebacker Kenneth Olegbodi scooped up Joe Williams' second fumble and returned it 10 yards for a TD that made it 27-16 early in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, Chidobi Awuzi recovered when Williams fumbled at the Colorado 2 after a 12-yard gain. Now, Cephalafel had a 6-yard TD pass to Shea Fields on the final play of the third quarter, and that was his 60th. <coughs> 
tying Cody Hawkins' school record and breaking a 13-13 tie. Hmm. Now, Kyle Folks returned the ensuing, the ensuing kickoff 93 yards for Utah, but a diving woozy knocked Folks out of bounds at the three, a tackle that proved pivotal when the Utes had to settle for a field goal that made it 20-16. to Shadobi Awuzie. Yeah. Sounds like you should take penicillin for that. What do you got, dude? I got a Shadobi Awuzie. <laughs> Damn, that looks... <laughs> Sorry. Are you not finding my humor tonight? Oh, it's... it. I found it. <laughs> Shadobi Awuzie. Uh, anyway, all right. <laughs> You're finding yourself quite funny. <laughs> All right, Beach. Next up, Rice at Stanford. Don't, don't date him. He's got a Chidobia woozy. <laughs> okay, Rice. Asians like Rice. <laughs> oh, God. Asians like Rice, Billy. Uh, uh, yeah, we, 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 <laughs> we, you established that last week, Beach. Christian McCaffrey rushed for 204 yards and scored two TDs as the number 24 Cardinal won their fifth straight game in front of a sparse crowd that braved drizzly weather at Stanford Stadium. Drizzly, what a bunch of pussies. The 2015 Heisman (laughs) Trophy runner-up wound up with 271 all-purpose yards, including a 23-yard TD reception and a 19-yard TD run. After his 19th career 100-yard rushing game and fifth 200-yard effort, McCaffrey eluded the big question about his future. If he was going to turn pro. Now, by the time the Cardinal were 4-3 and three after a loss to Colorado, McCaffrey was realistically out of the Heisman race. But he has 991 yards rushing and 10 rushing TDs in the past five games, pushing his season total to 1,603 yards. Asked if he'd cast a Heisman vote for McCaffrey, head coach Shaw said, the short answer is absolutely, but I would vote for him last year too. Yeah, he's actually got better stats than he had last year, but he's not. Wow. But he's not considered in the Heisman race because his team has not been as successful. They're still ranked in the top twenty-five. Mm-hmm. They they started out a little rough, but have since picked it up. So yeah. Hmm. Anyways, I would, do you think he's going to go pro? I don't know. I would. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't doubt it. Quite frankly, just the fact that he's being able. Just the fact he's being elusive about the answer kind of makes you think he's well, going to go that route. I, I, what else does he have to prove? Mm-hmm. Is is my thing? Yeah, he, he if he goes now, he's going to be leaving on a high, his his stock value is high, and for all you know, you could get injured next season. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm I'm a firm believer anymore as I've gotten older. Take the money now. Yeah, and if your stock value is high, you got to cash in. I agree, and I think that's what he needs to do. You know. An injury, and that's all gone. Yeah, exactly. And how many times have you seen it? Mm-hmm. You know, where a guy stays, you could have left, and he goes in for another year and blows a knee or something, and, and he's done. Yeah. So. All right, Beach. All right, we have one more game left, Billy. Last game of the year, Civil War. Oregon at Oregon State. Obviously, all three of us picked Oregon State, and we all know what happened. We do. Oregon State running back Ryan Nall was 10 years old the last time the Beavers beat the Ducks in the Civil War rivalry game. 
So that made Saturday's 34-24 Oregon State victory all the more sweet for the sophomore tailback, who finished with 155 yards rushing and four touchdowns. The win snapped an eight-game losing streak for the Beavs in the long-running series. Marcus McMarion threw for 101 yards and another score as the Beavers finished their second season under Coach Gary Anderson at 4-8 and overall and 3-6 and in the Pac-12. Afterwards, fans stormed the field at Reeser Stadium and someone hoisted up Nall in victory. Oregon quarterback true freshman Justin Herbert started in his seventh game after taking over for graduate transfer Dakota Prukup threw for 180 yards and a TD for the Ducks, who won't play in the postseason for the first time since 2004. Running back Royce Freeman, who had been mentioned as a preseason Heisman candidate, ran for 106 yards. Now, Oregon State opened the scoring on Nall's 12-yard touchdown run. The Ducks answered in the next series with Tony Brooks James's three-yard TD run, then pulled ahead on receiver Jalen Brown's reverse pass to Darren Carrington for a 33-yard touchdown. The Beavers pulled even at 14 on McMarion's six-yard TD pass to fullback Ricky Ortiz. McMarion was pressed into duty as a starter for the Beavers earlier this season after both Daryl Gerritsen and backup Connor Blount were injured. Now, the Ducks were efficient to start the second half, taking the lead on Herbert's 23-yard TD pass to Charles Nelson. Aiden Schneider's 46-yard field goal extended the lead for the Ducks. But then the rain started coming down hard, and the Beavers turned almost exclusively to running the ball at one point running on 21 straight plays. Nall scored on a 14-yard run to narrow it to, for the Beavs, then added a 6-yard TD with 9.40 left in the game. His fourth, a 2-yard smash, came with just under two minutes to go. Nall finished the season with 14 TDs despite being hampered by a foot injury. You know, I don't know if you noticed it, Billy, because we sit down at opposite ends of of our seats there. You're you're about two or three people away from me. Yeah. But uh, it was like the, the, the I think it was right at the start of the fourth quarter, might be in, towards the end of the third quarter. But the sky got dark. The clouds came in. The rain came in. And it was like something magical was happening. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, what, what was I, funny? I just felt like. Like it was divine intervention going on right there. No, I completely agree. So. Um, it, uh, what I was going to say was, uh, um, it, cause it dropped like 10 degrees. It had been really pretty nice up till then. Oh, you, and they said the rain was supposed to start at one and the rain never came. Yeah. Until later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it started raining and it just didn't stop. You know, it had me as the as the score was getting closer at the end, especially when Oregon was <clears throat> they were still two scores down, but they were getting close and they had that uh, potential uh, touchdown right at the, the final play. That that they ran and. Um, uh, oh, it felt like uh, the 1999 game all over again, because it looked like they could possibly take it into overtime. It was wet. It was miserable. It was cold and it was magical. Yeah. So, well, what's funny too is, so when that rain started, bees, I don't know if you noticed, but the rain started. And if you watched Oregon, Oregon sideline, they all went out and got their big coats and covered up and hunkered down. And if you mm -hmm. watched Oregon state sideline, mm -hmm. they started going nuts. Really? Oh yeah. And I, it looked like one of those things, like if they could rip their freaking jerseys off and run it around bare chested, they would have, mm -hmm. they were just freaking excited. Um, and I, I mean that really, that was a big change in the game right there. 
It really was. And I mean, I'll tell you, our running game, I mean, well, our, our, our passing game was halfway, well, was okay, but damn, all was looking good. Well, and it got to the point, you know, the offense had to love that, right? Because it's like, we're going to run the ball and you're not going to stop us. And then after we run that ball on that play, the next play, we're going to run the ball again. And 21 straight run run. Yeah. You think at some point in time they could have shut it down. Well, and they just imposed their will on Oregon. And I oh, don't yeah. I don't know if you notice the beach, but they were running a lot of um, fly action. So they're bringing the receiver through the formation. Mm-hmm. And if you watch, it was messing them up because you didn't know if they didn't know if they should watch the fly action. If they had to worry about Nall running, you know, running right off tackle inside or if McMarion was going to keep it and come off the other way. And well, they I'll just they it. just had them confused as hell, and it was beautiful. And McMarion, they had some beautiful fake handoffs. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a couple times you're like going, I would have bit. You yeah. know, I would have easily bit on, on how they handed that thing off because it was just so smooth. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're – Well, and – So and, McMarion would act like he's handing it off to Nall, and, I mean, it looked like a clean handoff. And, and pull it out, you know, and he'd be squirting out the side. you know he still has the ball. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was really the first time we'd seen McMarion keep the ball a lot, you know, run the ball a lot himself. Yeah, and I would like to point out that during the game, the the probably the most impressive thing that happened was the fact that Greg was <laughs> up on the jumbotron <laughs> for for a pretty big second there. Yeah. Yeah, all by himself. Yeah. You know, I th- I think Ellen was there for just a, a brief second. Well, he stands up there and, and dances and is 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 sexy self and uh, all of uh, all of Reeser got to see what we get to see every Saturday. Exactly, exactly. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Now the other thing I'd like to say about that game, Beach, was um, uh, I I I I've watched the replay of the game several times now. Two plays I thought were bad calls referee wise. That inter- that interception that Dakud had right after the Beavs had fumbled, mm-hmm. and they called him for pass. That was just a horrible pass interference call. Okay, he 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 didn't shove off. The other one was when the Beavs did the pooch kick on the kickoff right after they scored, the and offside, and they called it offside. He, he was not offsides. Really, I thought no. he. I I saw when I saw it live, and I thought he was just a little bit ahead. No, I no. It, I don't know how you call that. It's so close. I don't know how you call that. And and that cost us a recovery. And it was a yeah. beautiful kick too. Oh, beautiful kick, beautiful recovery. So yeah. But anyways, um, but uh, no, I thought it was great. Um, couple things have come out of that Civil War game. First, um, there was a four-star um, commit for Oregon, who was at that game, mm-hmm. named Ray Johnson. And he was at the Civil War game. And what he said was, quote, Oregon State, it was a complete different turnout from what I expected. The most interesting thing was the game atmosphere. It started pouring raining, and I went inside because I'm a Cali guy, and I'm watching the game inside, and everybody's still in there, and it's still rocking. I was like, that's crazy. The recruits were inside, and the whole stadium is still outside, still into it. It was crazy to see how the fans really love the team. Rain Johnson is now considering Oregon State. Sweet. 
Yes. And just today, let me see if I can pull this up because I didn't have it ready to go. So just today, Diomadre Lenore, Oregon Ducks top rated recruit, has decommitted and is opening up his recruiting process again. The five foot one, hundred eighty pound prospect out of Salesian High School in LA is rated the number three athlete and number three, number eighty-three player nationally, and holds offers from more than two dozen programs, including wow. Alabama, Florida, LSU, Miami, Michigan, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and USC. And he committed, and he committed, and then he uncommitted committed, to Oregon. He just today he uncommitted to Oregon. Now this thing about with Lenore is he's also been the leading, uh, he's also been a re- leader on the recruiting trail, right? Helping to secure mm-hmm. commitments from Jalen Red, the nation's number four athlete, three-star safety Nick Pickett, and he's also trying to help the Ducks make way with four-star linebacker Rame Johnson who said that he's now looking at Oregon State. Wow. Yep. So we're going to see what happens there. And like you said, Beach, Mark Helfrich was just fired this evening. So that really opens things up, which we'll get into more a little bit later. But the other thing that came out of the game this week, Beach, was that Ryan Nall was made the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. And deservingly so. Deservedly so. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so uh, good job for Ryan Nall. 155 yards, less than 50 yards short of a thousand for the season, which would have been nice. But four TDs and a Civil War win, I think he'll take that every time. By all means, yeah. Yep. Now, Beach. Also today, the Pac-12 announced the uh, Pac-12. Uh, um, all conference teams mm-hmm. and uh, let's see Oregon State placed um, on the offensive line on the second team Sean Harlow congratulations okay. to him yeah. and then I don't know if they had any second team defense no and then all the rest of their guys, um, defensive back Xavier Crawford, defensive back Tristan Decoud, offensive lineman Gus Lavaca, and running back Ryan Nall all made honorable mention. Okay. So that's great. All right. What's next, Billy? So... Um, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 in the polls next, Beach. Sweet. So in the polls, in the AP poll, Washington was number four, Colorado nine, USC up to 10, Stanford to 17, and Utah and Washington fell just out to be in the others receiving votes category. Now in the USA Today coaches poll, Washington's again at four, Colorado at nine, UCSC at 11, Stanford at 17, Utah fell to 24, and Washington is in the others receiving votes category. And Beach, just tonight, they announced the college football playoff rankings. And in that, 
Alabama is at number one, Ohio State at two, Clemson at three, and Washington moved up to number four. Now in the fifth and sixth spots is, well, actually fifth, sixth, and seventh is Michigan, Wisconsin, and Penn State. Colorado comes in at eight. USC falls out just out of the top ten at number 11. Stanford at 18. Utah at 20. And that's it for the Pac-12. Now, Beach, this is going to be interesting. Because you've got Alabama, who if they win, will be in. You've got Clemson, because they, they've still got their conference championship game. You've got Clemson, who if they win their conference championship game, should be in at number three. You've got Washington, who you'd hope if they win their conference championship game at number four, should be in. Mm-hmm. At number two, you have Ohio State, who's not in their conference championship. At number five, you have Michigan, who's not in their conference championship. At six and at six and seven, you have Wisconsin and Penn State, who's in the Big Ten conference championship. So one of them is going to come out a winner, and one that's going to come out a loser. Yeah, but does that displace Ohio State? That's really unfair. Does that displace Washington? It's just a mess. It's just a mess. There's going to be yeah. some interesting things happen after this week. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. I, I just – and maybe it's coming, but I think you just need to break it down so that every every conference brings out their top team. Yeah, but, but, you're, team. But, but you're going to have conferences that bitch – just like the SEC and the ACC who goes, well, our worst team could beat the best team over there. And no, that doesn't matter. That, well, well, you know what? The AFC and the NFC, for many, many years, they complained that the AFC wasn't up to the caliber of the NFC. Uh-huh. But now they are. Yeah. You know? And let them play. I agree. I agree. So if you are that better, well, then so be it. You know, we're still looking at, you know, the so so you're upset that your your team won't have the first loser? Is that what you're saying? Because you already picked your top team. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying the number two team in your conference, you're really one of bragging over being the first loser? Well, well that's good. Way well, to go. Anyways, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. So, all right, Beach. It's now time to our favorite segment of the week. A bunch of little bitches that need participation trophies. The Tommy Tuberville. What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. Jackass of the Week Award. Every week we like to discuss a person in college football who exemplifies the truly worst in sportsmanship, leadership, or just being a fan. First, we have two tonight. First, the fan. What the hell was that idiot doing in the field at the game during the Civil War? You know, in, in, did you find out anything about him? He was wearing like white and red, so it wasn't like he was His a shirt. He wasn't a duck. His shirt said no. Two. The number two. Uh-huh. D-A-P-L. It's D-A-P-L. Did the, you have Dakota, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Oh, he's a hippie. So yes. he is from Oregon. Uh, Yeah, because he also had a duck hat on. Oh, I didn't see the duck hat. Yeah, I've seen close-up pictures of him. He had a duck hat on. And I don't know if he was junk an idiot or what. Maybe he was trying to make a point of but the, the, the... But the moron ran out there on the field, ran around, and then laid down until a security guard came and picked him up. And he kind of tried to act like a sack of potatoes, but the guy picked him up and walked him off. Mm-hmm. Now, Beach, the best line, you didn't hear this. I heard it uh, because I was watching replay of the game. The best <laughs> the best thing about this was commentator on the Pac-12 Network, Glenn Parker. 
who, mm-hmm. when he saw what happened at, at the end of it, he said, quote, I prefer events like that end in a more violent fashion. <laughs> and I have to agree with him. I like to see those morons get the shit kicked out of them. Well, I, I uh, you know, I like the, the streaker we had. What was that, about 15 years ago? That was hilarious. I keep telling people about that. Yeah, that was that was you know at least if you're gonna have the 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 guts to go out there on the field and run around like a moron, at least have the guts to do it naked. If you have the guts to do it, have the balls to do it. <laughs> is that what you're saying? There you go. Have the balls to do it naked. So, anyways, yeah, that that was just stupid. What a moron. What does he get a does he get like cited for that or yes. is it just okay? That's that's trespassing. It might even be. I don't know if that's a misdemeanor or what, but he should get popped for it. And hopefully it'll come up when he goes to get a job, which who knows with his degree from the University of Oregon will get him anyway. Hopefully it'll pop him from getting to be able to apply for food stamps. I wonder if he was one of the 12. <laughs> he might have been. He probably was. Probably. He, no, he probably wouldn't have gone to such a patriarchal contest as a football game. Classic. <laughs> Classic. All right, Beach, and now for our second award of the week goes to leadership. This one goes out to Rob Mullins, the Oregon Athletic Director, for leaving the program in limbo for a couple days. So, to me, you know, I, I don't know how much this... Well, well t- tell, tell what, what he did. I mean, you can't just say leave it in limbo. Well, how did he leave it in limbo, Billy? Well, the thing is, so... Tuesday after the – or Saturday night after the, the the game, people asked Helfrich about his job security. He yeah. said, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, but that's the – that's the, And didn't he reference we're supposed to have a meeting on Wednesday, but um, until that time I will continue my duties. Yeah. They had a football banquet Sunday morning. Mullins flew out to Dallas, Texas, because he's on the college football playoff committee, and he had meetings on Monday. He came back today and had a meeting with Helfrich tonight and fired him. And to me, you, you just left that program in limbo for almost three days, mm-hmm. right? Helfrich was, had a press conference Sunday morning before the banquet. He said, I don't know if I'm going to be here, but this is what we're going under, and this is kind of the nature of the beast. Now, you left your coach hanging in limbo. You left the players hanging in limbo. You left the entire program hanging in limbo. Including the recruits. Including recruits. And obviously that probably cost them some recruits. Yeah. And I just, I think this was preordained that they were going to fire him. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to do it on the tarmac uh, or before you hop on the bus to head north or to head south after the game. But... I mean, they knew what they were going to do. They knew what they were going to do several, probably a month ago. Yeah. They probably knew. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to make it public right at that point. I mean, we've we've talked about firing people and whatnot, but you can just say, you know, hey, next morning the decision has been made. We're moving. We're moving in a different direction or we're, we're staying the course and forcing some change. Yeah, exactly. But they didn't do that. They just left Helfrich kind of twisted in the wind and the whole program twisted. And I think it's going to cost him. I think it's going to cost him. I just think it shows lack of leadership. Well, and, and think, you know, if they think they had a bad team this year, if they're losing these top tier recruits, um, 
you know, that that's that's damage that's going to be long lasting for several years. This is worse than the hand slap they got for Chip Kelly's te- cheating. Yeah, really. When you think about it. Yeah. Now, because you know, that only cost him one recruit. How many is this going to cost? Him? I agree. Now, I just want to before we go on any further. So dumbass fan and Oregon co- or Oregon athletic director Rob Mullins, this week's Jackass of the Week Awards. Are for you. But we're going to continue to talk about this for a couple minutes, Beach. Yeah, I like I said, I think it's going to hurt the program horribly. Mm-hmm. I think it really is. Do you think if they would have kept Helfrich on and forced some change, do you think that would have maybe improved the stability of the uh, of the organization where they, they might not have taken so – I mean, because I think that, like you said, we're, they, they, this is going to damage them. Uh-huh. I think if they would have kept Helfrich, I think maybe they could have – I mean, the man – two years ago, got them to the national championship. Oh, I agree. And it might have been Chip Kelly's uh, recruits, but it was actually his modification of their offense that took them there. I mean, he, he made their offense a little bit broader and ultimately a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, and the, I was even reading an article earlier today. They said that Bilotti, uh actually shoulder-tapped him before they shoulder-tapped Chip Kelly to come into the program. Oh, Helfrich? You know no. Yeah. Yeah, they actually – they Bilotti had mentioned and was looking at Helfrich long, uh, before they ultimately gave uh, the uh, offensive coordinator job to Chip Kelly. No, see, who gave that job to Chip Kelly? Was it Bilotti? I thought it was Bilotti. Well, or was he pushed by somebody else? I Maybe. I don't know that at all. I, 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 can't, uh, I can't speak on that. Yeah, I don't know either. It's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Just but, yeah, well, and the, the neat thing is, I mean, I was also reading a little bit about Helfrich. It's funny. The Wikipedia is already updated. He was fired on November 29th. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's amazing. But um, he's actually an Oregon boy. Yeah, he's... He, he, he was going to be a walk on at Oregon. And he's actually about your age. Yeah. Yeah. So but uh, he said in lieu of going and walking on in Oregon, he ended up going to uh, Southern Oregon where he was their uh, head quarterback. Yeah. And and they and, and all the praise that you hear is about his understanding of the offense mm-hmm. because he can look through a quarterback's eyes and understand how an offense lays out. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, he can't see a defense to save his soul, but that's why you hire other people. Yeah. Anyways, it's just like I said. I I just think it was piss poor leadership on Mullen's part. I mean, I don't care. You know, more no. power to him. Screw that yeah. program up more. Screw yeah. those bastards. I, I think they're going to have. I think you're going to see at least three to five years of rebuilding to make them even bowl eligible. Yeah, I don't know if it'll go that far, but it's going to take some major I, I work. Would give it, I would give it a minimum of three years before they'll be breaking even. We'll wait and see. We'll see who they get in there. Now, my conspiracy theory. I brought this up today, and I'm going to put it out here so it's recorded for posterity. Do you know where Oregon head booster was? On Saturday. He was at a football game. Yeah, he wasn't at the Civil War. No, he was not. You know where he was. Mr. Knight was uh, at the, uh, what was it, the, was it Ohio? Michigan-Ohio State game. Do you know whose locker room he walked in after the game? Ohio's? Ohio State's. Think he might have been putting in a little bit of a uh, feeler out to Urban Meyer? Why would Urban Meyer want to leave when he's a god there? Well, Oregon's going to pay $11.6 million 
to Mark Helfrich over the next few years to buy out his contract, mm-hmm. what would stop him from paying $20 million to Urban Meyer? Well, they have to buy off his contract anyway, don't they? Is that, is that is that his buyout? All I know is Phil Knight's almost 79. He'll be 80 next year. Mm-hmm. How badly does Uncle Phil want to see a championship at Oregon? It's just, I, it's Beach, just so Beach. insane to me. He's a billionaire. Can't take I it with you. It's just so insane to me. This is to, this is my to this have is such a lust for a win that you will throw as much money at that. I it's just it just baffles me. I mean, and he's got a lot of money and he does a lot of good with it. So I'm not knocking, and it's his money. He can do with it what you want. But yeah. it just seems so nuts that you feel like you can buy a win, you know. Whether it be in politics or football, I just don't think you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might have some influence, but you know, especially in, in politics, you just got to beat one other person. In football, at least in the Pac-12, you got to beat eleven others, mm-hmm. and every one of them wants to wants wants to win just as much as you do. And and money can't do that. No, you know, it takes passion. I mean, it takes a good coach. It takes good recruits. Um, it takes the strong fan base, and it takes a whole hell of a lot of hard work and a whole hell of a lot of luck. Uh huh. It does. You know? Yeah. And you can't buy hard work, and you can't buy luck, and you still need those. Yep. So. Anyways, that that's 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 my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. But you know they throw out a lot of feelers. I mean, didn't they even try to recruit uh, Pat Casey to take over their baseball program when they started it up? There's talks about it. Yeah, dirty cheating whores. Anyways, Beach. Okay, it is time to move on to our musical interlude of the week. And this week, Beach, mm-hmm. we have Kyle stepping in to pick out the, the 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 song. I can't believe we let Kyle pick out a song. Well, and of course we let him do it, and he screws it all up. Because we had a theme going. Well, that being said, the theme kind of started a few weeks into it, after we had, after we had mentioned Kyle was going to pick one at the end of the season. So here, here's what Kyle emailed me this week. I have picked a band for you. I thought of this band early in the season before you settled on a hell theme. So I'm bucking your trend. Actually, he's just screwing stuff up. Freaking bucker. <laughs> this band is famous in England. Started in the early 70s, they had 17 consecutive top 20 hits and six number ones and are considered the most successful British band of the 70s based on sales of singles. A number of diverse bands have claimed them as an influence, including the Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, Kiss, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister, Cheap Trick, and most of all, Quiet Riot, who scored hits with remakes of Come On, Feel the Noise and Mama, We're All Crazy Now. I am, of course, talking about Slade. Part glam, part heavy metal, these guys were a major force in England. They even started a movie called Slade in Flame, a story of a fictional band in the late 1960s. They were known for guitarist Dave Hill's arresting outfits, deliberately misspelling song titles, and Naughty Holder's powerful vocals, which prompted ACDC in 1980 to approach Naughty to replace Bon Scott. Which is interesting because he's kind of nasally like Bon Scott was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kyle continues. Now, there are a lot of great songs about these guys, but I am going with their top-selling hit, which ends up being a Christmas song. 
Merry Christmas, Everybody is a good time song. They even worked the name of the band Slade into the lyrics. Listen for it. So listen to this song and get in the holiday spirit. Then check out some of their other stuff on YouTube. Check out the Mutton Chops, the Mirrored Top Hat, the Crazy Guitarist, and the Greatness That Is Slade. Merry Christmas, everybody. So here from Kyle is Slade with Merry Christmas, everybody. because Kyle texted me back and said, I hope you don't, you know, I hope you guys actually listen to the song. I'm like, yeah, 
It's a great song. And BJ, I included a couple YouTube videos there if you want to watch them. One is Great okay. Christmas, Everybody. I actually have that song. I have that song on iTunes before Kyle even said anything. Okay. And it's a great song. And I have um, a, a number of Slade songs, including their 1984 album that was the North American release called Keep Your Hands Off My Power Supply. Remember that song, Beach? Remember that album? Can, can, yeah, can I, can I interrupt you for a second? Sure, go ahead. Um, so, my, so, growing up as a kid, I um, used to ride around in my dad's truck when I was, before I went to school. And uh, dad listened to uh, KWJJ back in the day, back on AM, and it was 1080. And I grew up listening to country. So I, I liked the Statler Brothers, the Oak Ridge Boys, Alabama, uh, C.W. McCall, all of those old old school country songs or country artists. And I think I was, you you must have been fifth grade. What would, what would grade you have been in 1984? Uh, hell, beach. I don't know. Uh, you pr- probably like fifth, I think. So, because I probably would have been third. Yeah. And yeah, sounds about right. Okay. So anyway, and I remember the first rock album or tape back in those days that I was ever introduced to was "Keep Your Hands Off My Power Supply," and I remember you and Mike McGuire and Sean France. And uh, you guys had that album. You were playing it all the time. Thought it was awesome. And uh, what's the main song on there? See, chameleon lying there in the sun. Run, run away. Correct. Yeah, that that is like, so like if you had to say, Beach, what's the first rock song you ever heard in your life? It would be Run, Run Away by Slade. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, and you know, I, I actually read, I, I, I'm well versed on a lot of little things. Um when Quiet Riot recorded, I think it was, I'm not sure which one of the two songs it was. They didn't even want to sing it. Did you know that? Hmm. They were so pissed that their, uh, their, produ- their producer or their whatever, their record album label wanted them to, to sing the song that, um, who's the lead singer, Billy, for Quiet Riot? Kevin Dubrow. Uh, du- du- Dubrow. So when Kevin, Kevin didn't want to sing it. And so Kevin tried to blow the song. And uh, the drummer, who's pretty much what, who's left of the band, of the original band, um, he was telling the story. And he says, Kevin didn't want to do it. Kevin tried to blow it. And he said, we just nailed it. And the first, he goes, that was our first take. And they're like, hey, that was perfect. And Kevin was pissed because he didn't want it on the album at all. And I'm not sure if it was Mama. I want to say it was Come On, Feel the Noise. But it might have been the Mama, We're All Crazy Now. Because I think both are on the same album. Uh, uh mental health so anyway yeah but and actually the the mama we're all crazy now both of the versions uh kevin's voice uh sounds incredibly close to slade's version Mm -hmm. and so uh yeah so anyway i could listen to both and i enjoy both versions that's great that's what i got it's great it's great so yes kyle wait Thanks for screwing up the hell theme. You take it from hell, and then you take it over to Christmas. It's like you just got to do the opposite just to be an ass. But that being said, you picked out a good album. You picked out a good band. There you go. There you go. So, anyways, (laughs) Kyle, it was a good pick. Maybe we'll have to do a Christmas song next week. 
I, can we pick my favorite ACDC Christmas song? I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, it's my – actually, you know I have music playing out on my front porch, right? I think I've told our audience about this. My my music plays out 24-7 on my front porch. So as you come up to my house – and I just switched it over about a week or so ago to my Christmas theme. And so it plays the Muppets with Don Denver. It plays a little Charlie Brown. Um, it plays a couple little random ones and some from uh, uh, Christmas Vacation, uh, including um, – Oh shoot! The the main theme from Christmas Vacation's um, opening, and then Ray Charles is one song in there, but it also plays ACDC song. Nice. Yeah. So I beat. I think it's about an hour and a half, so it all depends on what time you walk up to my uh, front porch and what you get. All right, Beach. Let's move on to our Pac-12 Championship Week game preview. So this year's championship game is going to be Friday, December second. Colorado versus Washington. Now, after the regular season, you and I were tied with 67 out of 90, and Kyle was in a distant third at 62 out of 90. Who do you got? Where are they playing this game at? They play at uh, the 49ers Stadium in Santa Clara. Okay, so essentially Le- Levi Stadium. Washington is home, but it's being played in a foreign foreign location. I don't know who's the home team. Okay. okay. But it's being I'm, played at Levi's Stadium. I'm going to take Colorado. Really? I'm going to take Colorado. Yes. Okay. You just taking Colorado. So this last game, we're going to make worth six points. Okay. Really? Well, that way, if Kyle so Kyle has a sh- that, yeah. so Kyle has a shot, doesn't like change you know changing the point spread, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, made up and the points don't well, six points, six points. That's half of the Pac-12 games. Because if if the Pac-12 is all playing each other, that's six games. So there'd be six points possible. You're just making shit up. That's all you're doing. So you're we're gonna make this up. one. That's fine. That's so fine. you are taking you Colorado. Want to do a recount of three states too, Billy, while you're at it? Beads, you're actually up to 139,000, almost 800 votes. I really did. Did it go up? Yeah, you're going up still. That's sweet. Like 756, I think. I know. We're hoping that you get another 250. That'd be awesome. Well, because there's like overseas ballots and stuff still coming in. So hopefully. You got more votes. You got more votes in District 1 than Gary Johnson did in all of Oregon. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I bet if they're overseas votes, if they're military votes, then they probably tend to favor Republicans. So they should would favor me. We'll wait and see. But I don't. Anyways, so Exciting. you you are taking Colorado. Kyle says, I am picking Colorado to beat Washington because I'm already too far behind you two, but expect you two to pick the Huskies and be all like, Kyle can't pick a game. Blah blah blah. <laughs> So Kyle's also picking Colorado. I am picking UW. Okay. So Kyle can come in at least second. If he wins, it would put him ahead of me. That's why I went with six points, you butt nugget. Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, Colorado's been playing really, really well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I'm just thinking maybe Washington might overlook them. They're they're thinking – you know, semi, uh, they're, they're looking at semifinals and not looking at the, uh, quarters. Championship game. Yeah. 
Yeah, the quarterfinals, not looking at the championship game. So, so anyway, that's that's my my thought there. Yep, I'm still thinking you dub. And Colorado's a good team. They 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 shouldn't be overlooked. Mm-hmm. All right, Beach. Let's talk about last week's tailgater, the Civil War tailgater we had. That was awesome. It was incredible. We got a new grill. How'd you like that? I I like the new grill, Billy. Did it surprise you? It did surprise me, Billy. Beach. I'm excited about that week's tailgater. Uh, it was an excite. It was. I can see why you were excited, Billy. Yeah, it was awesome. So yes, the new the new uh, flat top grill was excellent. We cranked out. I think I counted 111 cheesesteaks because we had 119. I think we ended up with 111 cheesesteaks that we made. Okay. Because with with the number of buns and the few buns I have left and the number of bunless sandwiches I made, I think that's where mm-hmm. we ended up. The bunless ones are probably pretty tasty too, even, you know, even without the buns. They, the, yeah. the, the meat is just phenomenal. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, cranked some sandwiches out. So much so that you and, and Greg had to go back and, and Ellen – had to go back and knock out some extra meat on the old grill. Yeah. Because I couldn't keep up. I couldn't keep up. (laughs) It was nuts. Yeah. I was, you know, and and what do we have? We only had to turn one person away due to lack of meat? Yeah, the last guy, yeah. Wow. I don't even know who the hell he was. Just some some random strange that showed up? Maybe. I don't know who he was. So, but anyways, it was good. Sandwiches were good. Deep fried stuff was good. Just a great tailgater all the way around. I think people had a great time. So, well, now hopefully we had a good good weekend in the in the uh, donation jar too. So hopefully we can add something else next year. What's your goal to add for next year, Billy? Well, one thing I've been wanting to add for a while, and this isn't really something useful, just more something decorative. Mm-hmm. I want a flag. You've always wanted a flag. I want a flag. I want a flag and a flagpole. Okay. So we'll look into that. But things can always change. You know, yeah. we, we, I wanted to get a grill heading into the season, and then we decided, no, we need to get the tent. So we'll wait and see. Yeah, the tent the tent was definitely – I mean, the tent's been awesome. Oh, yeah, it's been great. So. So. Yeah. So. All righty, Beach. The flag would be cool because then we could just tell people, oh, you look for the flag. You'll see our flag, yeah. yeah. All right, Beach. It's now time for your segment of the week. The Rosie Ruiz Cheaters and Whores. She's just a girl. She's a whore. She's a whore. Okay, we have a, you know, so I was, I, every week I try to think of a cheater and a whore, right? Yep. And I thought we've, we've done a couple on like a guy who tried to fix the horse. Well, he actually gambled on a horse race that never occurred. Remember that guy? Many, many years ago? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so but I thought, what about real-life gamblers who are cheaters? So I came across this guy named Richard Marcus. Have you ever heard of him? No, but I can already tell you right now, never trust a guy with a first uh, first name as a last name. I agree wholeheartedly. Never trust a guy with a first name as a last name. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, after, uh, it says here, uh, after... Failing at earning a living with legal gambling, Richard Marcus found himself homeless in Las Vegas and took a job as a blackjack and baccarat dealer. 
This gave Marcus a second perspective and allowed him to see both sides of how casinos operate. That information was enough for Marcus to discover a way to scam casinos out of money. And in his case, that money became millions over his career. His scam was pretty simple using a basic sleight of hand. He'd place a simple bet, two red $5 chips, on top of one $500 brown chip. However, Marcus placed the bet so that through the eyes of the dealer, it appeared to only be a $15 bet with three red chips. If the bet won, Marcus would inform the dealer of the size of the bet and pocket over $1,000. If the bet lost, he would wait until the dealer looked away and replace the 510 in chips with $15 in chips. The simple scam worked for years. That is until Marcus was caught, prosecuted, and banned from casinos. That didn't really stop Marcus, though, as to this day he continues to serve as a mentor to other cheats. Operating a website, blog, and as the author of two books, Marcus, the self-proclaimed world's number one casino and poker cheating expert, continues to help others through education. Wow. Crazy, huh? That is crazy. Are you there, Billy? Yeah, I'm here. That's crazy, Beach. It's, uh, I, I can just picture it. I mean, uh, just think if you just put the chips over just slightly so you can't see the color on the bottom. And uh, like I said, just being able to see where his deficiencies were being a dealer he then knew how to uh, how to uh, fix it so he could win. And I, I mean, you know, it's all, essentially all he is is a magician that just uses his skill for evil instead of entertainment. So, or mm-hmm. evil, I guess, depending on how you look at it. From him, his point of view, it's he's uh, he's taking it back. He's 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 uh, he's getting back at the man. So, or the Indians, however mm-hmm. you look at it, depending on what casino you're in. So. I wish I knew that trick because the blackjack table was not kind to me over Thanksgiving. Oh, really? Not good, yeah. huh? No, no. I it, it teased me a little bit, and then I just got screwed. So nothing nothing was good for me. I lost, uh, I lost in Kino. I lost on the roulette table. I lost in blackjack. I lost in video poker. And uh, by the time I got to the craps table to bet a little bit there, I had nothing left. That's too bad. Yeah, it's all right. It was good entertainment, and the buffet was fine. There you go. That's always good. <laughs> so anyway, so what else we got, Billy? Anything else on the agenda? What are no. we? When's our next podcast? Are we going to do this next week? We will. We will wait till after. The- we will do one next week to wrap up the regular season and talk about where the Pac-12 teams will be playing in the bowl games. So I want to thank everyone to listen to show number 88 of the League Potations Patient. If you'd like to comment, send a suggestion, or ask a question, there are a few ways to get in touch with us. HeinrichTailgator at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at HeinrichTailgator. Also check out HeinrichTailgator on Facebook. Remember to listen and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave a rating review also on the Google Play Music Store. Remember, you can also listen to us on your iPhone or Android devices with the Stitcher Radio app. Beach, it's been a great season. And until next week, let's get a great big Go Beavs.
So that was perfect, <clears throat> Billy. Your time was impeccable. Like, I was just over reading through my shit here. And boom, just like that. How am I sounding? Am I sounding okay? Am I coming in clear? Hookers and blow, Billy. Hookers and blow. Podcast show 88. Don't talk so loud. Podcast show 88. You say that out loud and it cracks the uh, recording. Cracking the recording. Yeah. I can crack the recording. Mm-hmm. Do I sound okay now? How, how loud should I talk? Yeah, but when you go, rah, 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 it gets real loud. Lo- it gets real loud okay. in my ears and it like messes up the recording. Okay, I'll try not to mess up the recording. Gotta tone this one down a little bit today. Do do you have room for me for a uh, cheaters and whores? Yes. Got a good cheaters and whores. Are we still talking about Orville Redenbacher? You have to wait to see when we get there. Okay. That was nice, Billy. Wow, that was good. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready when you are, dipshit.